You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Every year, you may know, on the weekend of Martin Luther King Day, we take time here at Mercy View to talk about issues of race, justice, and our desire for racial harmony. Martin Luther King Day weekend is a natural time to do that. Dr. King, obviously a central figure during the civil rights movement. His legacy carries on in many ways. This past year, alongside the COVID pandemic, we saw several, many painful, sorrowful, tragic examples of how sin, and specifically the sin of of racism and its effects, linger on. 2020, plainly, was a difficult year for race relations in our country. There are many heartbreaking examples, many. One of the more um, obvious to me was the, the killing of George Floyd, the subsequent protests, riots that we saw over the summer. Now, if you were here with us during the summer, perhaps you remember that we, we created talking about a framework designed to help us think critically, move forward on issues of, of race and justice in an ongoing way, not simply as a reaction, but a plan to move forward in a meaningful way. That framework is an acronym. It's called the four L's. They are lament, listen, learn, and finally love. In June of last year, we we held a lament service out on the lawn at at the TMBN. We lamented the death of George Floyd, the subsequent protests, riots, the loss of life associated with those. We asked the Lord for justice. We asked Him for mercy. We asked that He would show Himself Lament is a biblical practice that helps us as Christians, helps you honestly wrestle with the difficulties in the world. Take an honest stock at what's going on, pain, death, decay, wrestle with that reality while moving closer to the Lord, trusting Him, hopefully Him growing your faith an important practice for us. In the fall, we had an equipped group, a a short-term group, an attempt at listening and learning, reading, discussing together a work entitled Beyond Racial Gridlock by Dr. George Yancey. George Yancey is a a believer. He's a sociologist at at Baylor. He makes the case in this little book to for, for, for reconciliation or harmony to be achieved. All sides, cultures, majority, minority, white, black, have to take responsibility for themselves. Their actions or non-actions. He calls it the mutual responsibility model. Calling people, communities, cultures to take responsibility for themselves and not focusing on the responsibilities of others, individuals, cultures, communities, etc. So as a church, Mercy View, predominantly 
made up of majority culture people, white folks. We want to talk and take seriously our responsibility, our responsibilities in the context of, of pursuing racial harmony. Now, as, as, I, as, I, as we think about this 4L framework, each piece is ongoing in nature. In other words, you don't just lament once and then move on. Listen once, move on, learn, no, no. Ongoing in nature. But for the rest of our time, I want to talk about what love looks like for us. What does it look like to love in the context of race, justice, reconciliation, harmony? Well, first, as Christians, let me submit to you that we have to think biblically about everything. Everything. But specifically here on issues of race, justice, harmony, etc. There is so much opportunity, so much opportunity for a conversation on this topic to go off the rails somewhere. Even in the context of the broader church, there are so many voices all over the map on these issues. Left, middle, right, woke Christians, Christian nationalists, all, everywhere in between. It can be overwhelming, it can be exhausting, confusing. In many cases, these voices vehemently disagree with each other. One of my concerns for the, the larger church, I suppose, but more specifically for our church, is that we would move away from a biblical framework, a biblical guide, and look to other frameworks or other guides to sort of direct our conversation. Too often, conversations like this get, get sullied by politics or historical figures or abstract philosophies. Instead, as a church, as Christians, we have to maintain our focus on the Lord and what He says in His Word, believing and then acting upon what He says. So as an attempt to do that, as a guide, what does God say? What has He called us to do? Jesus summarizes the whole law by saying, love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. That seems like the right place to start. So how can we as a church, you as a, as a Christian, demonstrate love for neighbor? How can you do that? This brings us to our passage that Brad read for us. If you have your Bible, let's read it again. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, Micah 6.8 is dealing in a, in a particular context. All the scriptures are written to a particular context. And it's, it's not quite the same context in which we find ourselves. There are a couple important key differences between Micah's original audience and us. For example, as a nation, the United States, we are not in a covenant with God. Whereas in the Old Testament, Israel was. 
However, when, when, when we look at the Old Testament, when you, in your, maybe in your own time with the Lord, read the Old Testament and encounter moral commands, like Micah 6.8, or you go way back to Exodus, like the Ten Commandments, understand that despite these contextual differences, these commands are binding for you. Why? Because they reflect the character and nature of God that is unchanging. In other words, though the covenants are different, the character of God remains the same. If God commanded His people to do justice, love, kindness, walk humbly with Him in the Old Testament, why would He not require these same moral goods for His people in the New Testament or the New Covenant? Now, it is true that Jesus fulfills the law for us, that He is our substitute in life and death, that God gives Jesus righteousness to us freely. But that doesn't mean that our own active work, your own active work toward obedience is somehow moot or doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Of course it matters. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? That is intended to show us that obedience to God is required in the Christian life. And then thankfully at the same time, God is gracious with us. He's patient. He's merciful. So we have to do the hard work of acknowledging Jesus' point and the reality that He's gracious and merciful at the same time. So turning to our passage in Micah, there are three imperative statements in verse 8. Three commands that are, I would argue, are binding on us, on you as the people of God. He says, do justice, love kindness or mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of our time talking about the first two. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get to the third. Maybe we'll do that another time. So first, do justice. Do justice. What does it mean to do justice? Simple definition could be to act equitably, to hurt no one by word or deed. One commentator puts an edge on this command, which I think is particularly relevant for us. He says it this way, we must act justly, that is, when in a socially superior position, step in and deliver the weaker or wronged party. Now, in my view, that is a challenge for a church like ours, made up of predominantly majority people. Now, there are some who argue that that race is not a factor as it relates to social capital or standing in our society. Now, in my view, um, those arguments fail. It seems to me that there are clear discrepancies concerning how society treats majority culture, people, white folks, and minority cultures black, brown, people of color. Now, we're not going to run down rabbit holes. We're not going to talk about how or why that happened. Rather, we're going to look to God's Word and then work to apply it to love our neighbor or to do justice. So what does it mean for us? 
What does it look like for us to do justice as Micah commands us? First, a couple of ideas. Be generous. Be generous. God is generous. If you look at the Bible, you will see example after example, page after page of the generosity of God overflowing. It's everywhere. Certainly the greatest example of God's generosity is that He willingly gave up His Son, gave Him so that you could live. God's so generous that He gave Jesus up that His people could live. In addition, there are all kinds of other examples. One, in the Old Testament, there are examples within the law that speak to, that show us the generosity of God. One of those examples um, is called gleaning laws. Now, in, in an ancient agrarian society, like the ones in which the Old Testament was written, the harvest, whatever crops were in the field that needed to come out of the field, was foundational for earning a living. If you were farming the ground, you needed your harvest. It was critical for your survival. So pragmatically speaking, it makes so much sense for the landowner or the farmer to be meticulous in his harvest to pick up every little piece of would-be food for him and his family or for, to, to, to sell to make, to make more money. Meticulous. But because God has an eye for the disadvantaged, because he loves the oppressed, God enacted gleaning laws. What are gleaning laws? Leviticus 19.9 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Okay, so you think about this field. You're harvesting the field. You want to go right up to the line. God says, no, come away from the line. What about the corners? No, come away from the corners. What am I supposed to do with that? Leave it. Why? So that the poor, the immigrant, the refugee, the widow, the orphan, the disadvantaged could come behind you and pick up what's left for themselves. You see this play out in the book of Ruth. Now, some will argue that this is a particular Old Testament law for a particular context that isn't applicable for us. <laughs> Perhaps they're right if, if they're talking about the actual practice of gleaning. Like if you have a field... Or maybe I was thinking, like, should I, are we talking about mowing my grass and not going to the edge? No, that's obviously not the point. The point is the principle underneath the law is the generosity of God found in the gleaning laws that haven't changed. In fact, Protestant 16th century reformer John Calvin says it this way, God here inculcates liberality upon the possessors of the land. It is a sign of ingratitude, unkindness, and maliciousness to withhold from the poor what we derive from God's blessing. So, the searing question for you, are you generous? Or in Calvin's words, 
are you ungratefully, unkindly, and maliciously withholding from the poor that which God has given you? Now, again, some, some might push back to say, hey, this, this is talking about the poor. It's not talking about race. In response, let me suggest to you that it is clear from the text of Scripture that God has a heart for disenfranchised people. That includes the poor, the orphan, the widow, the sojourner, the immigrant, the refugee. In our context, there are many discrepancies, financial, access to certain opportunities or resources, sociological and historical factors that exist along racial lines that give us an opportunity to be generous, like the landowner in Leviticus 19 or like Boaz in Ruth, specifically within racial contexts. Another idea, what does it mean to do justice? Advocacy. To advocate, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves, Proverbs 31, or who are in a a position of disadvantage. There are people, groups of people, who are disadvantaged, and in some cases, intentionally so. Thinking contextually about race in our country, in my view, there are clear examples of inequalities in our society. History and institutions like slavery, like Jim Crow, cast long shadows. Long shadows. Their effects on individuals and cultures are lasting and detrimental in many, many ways. The ongoing presence of the sin of racism affects our society, creates environments of inequality, atmospheres of hopelessness and fear. So for mercy of you, for for many of of you, doing justice, advocating according to the Bible could look like a couple of things. Pastor, author, Tim Keller offers a couple examples of what advocacy can look like. First, direct relief to meet material needs. Here the advocate focuses on getting a person things they need. Help legal, medical, financial resources to help when in crisis. Second, uh, empowerment. Helping a person, family, community gain increased self-sufficiency. This includes practical things like mentoring, tutoring, coaching, skill building. These invest in people and communities in a way to help them not need as, as much advocacy all the time. There are people in communities here in Tulsa, right here, for whom we as a church can advocate. Now, to be clear, back to our four L's framework, this is an example of what love in that framework can look like doing justice, being generous, advocating for people who need help. Now, we are in the process of exploring, uh, forming relationships, ministry partners, other churches, where we as a church can, can 
do some of this work in a sustained, ongoing way. Doing justice. So I look forward to to being able to share some of that with you all soon. When I think about racial harmony, as you see the screen behind me, one of our responsibilities as a church is to seek justice. But another, back to Micah 6.8, to love kindness or to love mercy. What does it mean to love kindness? What does it mean to love mercy? Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, you find a story of a man who's taking a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about seven miles. On the way, he gets jumped, robbed, beaten, thrown into a ditch to die. In the story, three men walk by him. Two of them, a Levite, well, first a priest, then a Levite, see him there and then move to the other side of the road, not to be bothered by this man dying in a ditch. The third a Samaritan. To Jesus' original listeners, a hated minority came down, scooped him up, bound some of his wounds, put him on his own donkey, rode with him, took him to a place where he could recover. Took him to a place where he could recover. Now, what's the point of the, the parable as it relates to our current conversation. Are the, the racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans the same as they are between uh, white and black in our culture or other racial tensions that exist? No, they're not the same. But does the Samaritan in Luke 10 give everyone an example, a model of what loving kindness looks like? Yes. Yes. In particular, moving out of regular circles, showing love and mercy, the love and mercy of God to people who are different than you, including racial differences, including class differences, and other significant areas of distinction. His command to you, to me, to us, to his people is to love kindness, to love mercy. So thinking, thinking practically, uh, thinking about application, evaluating this command to love kindness in our, in our current context, talking about racial harmony right now in our country and right now for right now. What, what does loving kindness, what could it look like? A couple ideas. First, it could look like empathy. Empathy trying to understand what another person has been through or is going through, thinking specifically, you don't know what a person across racial lines experience is like. You don't. Some of the most divisive narratives surrounding race in our country right now, they lack a lot of things, but they lack empathy. They lack empathy. For us to love mercy and kindness, to obey Micah 6.8, is to have empathy. Or as one biblical counselor describes it, you have to try to crawl in the casket with the other person, trying to understand their experience to that depth. 
Not talking about what you would do, no. But listening, understanding, striving in understanding, the, to, to, to understand how the feelings and challenges that different people have or face. To love kindness is to empathize. Another idea, gentleness. Gentleness is not softness. It's not looking the other way at hard or troubling situations. In fact, it's more about how you engage with hard or troubling situations than if you choose to engage with hard or troubling situations. How? Jesus in Matthew 10, 16 says that you should be wise or shrewd as serpents and harmless and gentle as doves. Not either or, not you get to pick one, both. Both. As a person who has to work very hard to be gentle, me. Balancing these two in tension is a challenge. It's not easy. But if it's in the Word, if, if Jesus said it to His original followers and He says it to us, not only does it mean it's doable for us to figure out, it means He expects us to figure it out, walking in obedience with Him. So we have to hold this intention, wise and harmless, shrewd and gentle. Much of the conversation, friends, on race, even in some circles of the church, is not characterized by empathy and gentleness. But ours, here, has to be. It must be. There's not another, not another option for us. To love kindness is to be empathetic and gentle. Now, friends, racial harmony is an ideal worth striving for. In fact, the biblical standpoint, we see that God cares for all people by giving them value, worth, dignity that, that, is, that all stems from being made in His image. His grand story of redemption is for all people. We see way, way back in the early chapters of Genesis, God promising to a man called Abraham that He would bless the world through Abraham's family. Now that promise is being worked out in a variety of ways all over the world, but specifically it's being worked out and is fulfilled through Jesus, through whom God grafts all people into His family. People from all, all tribes, tongues, backgrounds, races into his family. So that at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 5, you see a scene of worshipers in front of the throne of God made up of all people, tribes, tongues, races, backgrounds, worshiping the Lord through Jesus. He tears down walls of hostility, including the hostility of racial tension. Now, if, 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 if we as a church are going to play a role in working toward racial harmony, we not only need to work toward applying these commands from Micah 6, namely to do justice, to love kindness, or to love mercy, but we also need the reconciling power of the gospel. We need 
Jesus. Make no mistake, it's the love of God that reconciled God to sinners that can have the same effect reconciling people to people, sinner to sinner, all of us in harmony. As as Christians, we have a unique position as we pursue some of these things, racial harmony, justice, in our culture, to do justice, to love kindness, because of the love of God worked out in your life, and empowered by the love of God worked out in the culture. Friends, let's pray.